Welcome to the Girl Gang Conversations, a podcast that's all about connection, sisterhood, and having conversations that matter. I'm your host, Sarah Stars, and every week I speak to inspiring women about the nitty-gritty of how they live with passion and purpose. We dive deep into our journeys, the obstacles we've overcome, our dreams, what's working for us, and what isn't. We're totally honest about what we're learning, what our daily rituals look like, and what we're struggling with. We don't shy away from the hard stuff, and we really go into it all. Spirituality, personal development, magic, routines, career, friendship, relationships, sexuality, and so much more. The most powerful two words in the English language are, me too, and it's my hope that these conversations help us all feel less alone. This isn't about preachy self-help or self-improvement. It's about self-acceptance and talking about the things that matter to us. Hello, and welcome to The Girl Gang Conversations, episode 62. This episode is sponsored by Four Sigmatic. You can access all of the show notes for this episode at sarahstars, that's S-T-A-R-R-S, sarahstars.com slash podcast slash 62. Today's interview is with Rochelle Sheik. Rochelle is the founder of Koya. Since its inception in 2009, she has trained hundreds of Koya teachers, taught thousands of Koya movement classes, and led dozens of retreats in the most sacred places on earth with one intention in mind, to remember and to help others to do the same. Koya has come up on this podcast many times and it's had a profound impact on my life, how I relate to my body, how I even want to live, so I'm really excited to be sharing this conversation with you today. Rochelle and I talked about learning to trust our bodies, healing from heartache, balancing our masculine and feminine energies, and what you can expect in a Koya class. Hey, Rochelle, how are you? I'm well, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing? I'm really well, thank you. Really excited after, you know, Koya has come up so many times on the podcast in terms of my own personal journey or, you know, guests who take classes or have gone to your retreats and a couple of instructors have been on the show. So I'm so excited to get to share more about this amazing practice and lifestyle with everyone on the Girl Gang Conversations. Mm, Amazing. And so I know you live quite a nomadic lifestyle. Where in the world are you these days? Well, I right now I'm in my new home in Woodstock, New York. And after about, I don't know, a lot of traveling, I had a really leisurely Sunday yesterday. And I was trying to do the math of the last time I was living in a home and had a Sunday. And I, I couldn't really. It was like a year and a couple months or something. So um, I, I'm excited to hibernate for the winter and work on some creative ideas for the next couple months. So uh, nomad life begins again in the spring, but I'm excited to get cozy this winter. Oh, how cool. Well, that's really interesting to hear. And it'll maybe tie well into this next question, because I think, you know, for most creative entrepreneurs, there is no typical day in the life. But maybe now that you're cozying up in a new home, I'm curious, do you have any routines or rituals that anchor your day? I definitely do. Uh, One of them is on uh, my website even just because I, I love doing it so much. And it's uh, do, turning over like first thing in bed and doing 10 gratitudes of just like, instead of just like a grocery list of I'm grateful for my partner, I'm grateful for, you know, my health of like really breathing into what does that gratitude feel like in the body. 
And then I come into like a little stretch and think of what am I celebrating? And then I come into another stretch and vision what I'd like to do for the day. And it's just so, so beautiful to begin really present to all the blessings that are here because of course life is life. And sometimes there's a healthy mix of blessings and challenges. So uh, just to really root in the beauty that is present. And then I love hot water and lemon. And I also put hot water, lemon and honey, but I spent some time in India working with an Ayurvedic doctor. And he's like, if you were to do one thing for your health, hot water and lemon every morning. And I definitely, it's like a, a little bit of a, daily thing that I love to do. And then of course, movement, just if I move, everything is better. And so it's one of my main messages in the world is to encourage people to find movement that feels really good in their body, because it's not only physical health, but the circulation of ideas, energetics, and and emotions, and just to really keep things moving and attuning to our most true vibrational essence. Like when I'm moving around my living room freely, I think of like on a subatomic level, this like there's all this space and, you know, protons and electrons and neutrons all dancing around. And, uh, and so dancing is a way that I just center myself in what I believe to be most true of this cosmic dance of life. Mm, that's really beautiful because I think there's so many of us who thought we didn't like moving our bodies for so long like for me it always felt like Mm. this kind of icky fitness thing that I couldn't relate to there's all these rules about how I was supposed to be doing it it wasn't until you know finding your work and some yoga classes that were just a little bit different more focusing on what feels good in the body that things kind of clicked for me and it's like yeah like like you're saying moving that energy moving um that kind of creative impulse in the body is it feels so good Yeah, I think this is really fascinating when we talk about empowering women and seeing that one of the ways in which we've become the most disempowered or self-abandoned is in the way that we view our body and the tending of it as as an obligation versus as, you know, a gift that our soul is able to incarnate and experience life. And it's just the way that culturally it's been held, you know, as a source of shame or as a source of never being good enough or, you know, it's just, it's, we're all familiar with the narratives and, and so there's not a lot of need to bring them up, but it is really powerful to be part of having conversations like this, doing work like yours, doing work like mine. I'm sure like many of the women listening to this, whatever work they're doing in the world is contributing to the healing of the perception of body. And this idea that I'm really passionate about is what you look for is often what you see. So in Koya, of course, there's going to be things that are in healing mode. Of course, there's going to be things that are a little talkative and cranky, but what you look for is what you see. So if you start looking for a place where it actually feels good to be in your body, you're more likely to find it. And once you find it, are you willing to expand your capacity to be there? And it's really about expanding our capacity beyond habitual suffering into what does it feel like when it feels good? Can I just stay here a moment longer and then a moment longer? And is what we come up against is, you know, movement is often a metaphor. Our ability to feel good in our body is often tied to our ability to feel good in our life. And it's like we're really rebirthing what it's like to be a woman in this modern age. And I believe we can do this through ideas and thoughts, but ultimately we have to do it through the body. Mm, that makes so much sense to me. I've had quite a journey with my body this year. And and when I, when I was really focused on like being sick and you know, all of this healing that I thought needed to happen, like it was, 
it had such an impact on my mental health as well and, and just the way I was relating to the world and, and being able to come back to a movement practice and to a, a focus on what feels good on the body and how can I hold myself there. Like it just really shifts everything. That's so interesting. Um, I love the way you explained that. Mm, well, it's also interesting when we talk about when we're not feeling well. I was sick last week and it was just, I was really, I'm, I'm working on a new book right now and it's all about paradox. And so I'm, I'm really was like sitting with this idea of a time, uh, maybe a few years ago, I was traveling and teaching and, and I got a cold cause it was winter and the, I, I had to cancel plans with a friend cause it's like, listen, I'm just really not feeling well. I'm sick. And sort of, I thought by saying that she was going to be like, oh, I'm so sorry. Oh, it's so horrible to be sick. And she had this other reaction where she was, she was like, oh my gosh, that's so good. And I was like, what? And she's a naturopathic doctor. And she said, no, the fact that you're getting like a cold and you're sick right now is an indication that your immune system is working, you know? And she's, and I said, well, I never get sick. And she's like, well, that's actually like concerning because, you know, our immune system needs to flush things out ever so often. And when you get these things, it's, it's a sign that your body is working, not that it's not working. And so it was just this interesting reframe even about health and trusting the body. So when I got a cold last week and wasn't feeling so well, uh, my fiance said something to me. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry you're not feeling good. I was like, oh, no, no, my immune system is just showing off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so it's Again, you know, put to extreme examples, there there are times when illness does deteriorate our body, but it's this ultimate thing of like, do we actually trust our bodies? And I think this is so fascinating when we talk about, you know, women in terms of menstrual cycles or creating a life and being born. Like when a mother is pregnant, she doesn't necessarily say, okay, on my to-do list, okay, today, make an ear, check yeah. <laughs> on kidney. You know, she doesn't do that because she doesn't have to. Her body knows how to do this. But somehow when it's like, oh, what career move should I make? What partner should I be with? What, what, um, where should I enroll my children? Uh, what should I eat or not eat? All of a sudden the intuition of the body is what not trustworthy. It's like we can create life by trusting the instinctual wisdom of the body, but we can't create our own life trusting the instinctual wisdom of the body. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to talk more about that. I, um, I went to the theater last night with my husband and I, I, the theaters in London, if people haven't been to some of them, they're like really old. And so if you're up in the balcony, cause you can't afford the really good seats, it's like very, very steep stairs. And I got this like intense sense of vertigo. I have um, quite a fear of heights sometimes. And what I've realized is that my fear of heights really comes from a lack of trust in the coordination of my body. Like growing up, people being like, oh, well, you're not very coordinated. You're not very rhythmic and really, um, integrating that into my belief system and how do I relate it to my body and I think that that is probably where my fear of heights comes from I don't trust my body to go down these really steep stairs in a way that will keep me safe so I'm curious to, to talk more about how how do we begin building that trust in our body mm, I love that question and it's ultimately at the heart of what I do. You know, we all want to make the world a better place. And I really believe that if women trust themselves, that they will trust the ideas that they have to create in the world. They will trust themselves to make decisions that I really do believe will honor the highest good of all. And so for me, the thing is that trusting ourselves, in my perception, is not necessarily a thought. It's more of a feeling. Mm -hmm. Because 
a thought in essence sort of has to categorize something as being different than something else. Whereas a feeling is a way that we can really tune into all of that we are. And so this is a phrase that comes up a lot uh, in the narrative right now of emerging consciousness, like remember who you are, remember who you are. And, and, and when I say that or hear that, I think of that as, you know, remember the divine spark that animates you is the same divine spark that animates everything else. Or, you know, the idea, one of my favorite sayings in the world is there's only one of us in the room. So remembering to come back to awareness that we are, we are all a unique expression of the one. And so with, with that sort of understanding, that is something, a mind that separates or an ego function that has to categorize, which is an amazing and necessary for living a human life and a great function to have, but cannot totally always conceptualize that idea. So it needs to be a feeling. So how do we begin to trust ourselves? I believe it's really through feeling. And I think the body is the easiest way to do that because feeling is also, with your example of the stairs and the vertigo, is also an invitation to come into present time reality. And all healing happens in the present moment. So you and a lot of us had someone say something about our body that got wired, it got wired into our belief systems about ourselves. Dealing with women in movement, I often come across women who just had someone tell them they were clumsy or they weren't a dancer. And, you know, 30, 40, 50 years later, they still, you know, because of that one person who said one thing. And so to really breathe into the present moment reality. So how do you trust yourself? I would say it's you really feel yourself in the moment. And so it's can take some training to to not, you know, let the past influence us so much or not worry about the future so much, but really be here now. So whether it's, you know, I love Koya as a way that offers movement as meaning, whether it's yoga, whether it's running, whether it's rock climbing, movement is this constant invitation to merge into the moment, merge with your breath, and so that you can do it in real life situations. Another sort of way is I would say after you did a yoga class, after you did a Koya movement ritual, after you went for a run, after you went for a hike, whatever your choice was, if you were to give yourself a half an hour, an hour would really be ideal. And I love doing this. It's just, you know, imagine turning off your phone and just start walking out your front door and make every decision based on your body. Do I turn right or left? Do I go into the store or not? And you just practice. And basically, like you do bicep curls at a gym to make your biceps stronger, is you do these trust-building exercises. Like before you send an email, read it. Does it feel right in your body? Maybe put a little sticker, like check my body. You know, a lot of times we're all so busy that the main way that we don't trust ourselves is we're too busy to check in. Mm -hmm. And so it's really like how do you create reminders in your day and in your life that you have practices to check in to actually notice how you feel. And then when you notice how you feel, how can you honor that? So it's, you know, it's the ability to access and then trust. So you have to cultivate the access, which I believe is really through mindful movement. There's a lot of different ways to do this. I just think that's the fastest and most efficient and 
also most enjoyable. Mm -hmm. But then once you actually notice how you feel, how do you trust yourself? Well, you start with the little things and then you go to the big things, you know, it's like where you do have time, where you do have space, where you do have, you know, a little bit more, um, leverage, you know, maybe it's like with your close friends first, before you go and asserting your truth to your boss, you know, it's like, you know, it's like you, you build yourself up so that you have confidence and then, and then, you know, this is a day to day moment by moment experience. So just by living your life, you're going to have, you know, dozens of invitations every single day to trust yourself because, because that's what life offers us is an opportunity to interface with our most true self. And we do that by listening to ourselves and then having our actions be in accordance with what we feel is true. Mm, Yeah. So I just want to um, pull things back a little bit for people who are being introduced to you for the first time. I'd love to talk a little bit about your story and your background. So I know you were, I think, teaching dance and yoga classes already before, you know, before Koya was really even developed. And so I'm curious if you could talk a little bit about you know, that, that experience of first hearing the call to create this movement system and where that led you in your life? Of course. So, I get that's a oh, big yeah. question and you've written a whole book about it. So <laughs> however you want to chunk it down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I love this story because especially in a situation like this, I was in a women's circle in New York city and one woman rose her hand and asked, everyone says I need to get out of my head and into my body. And I don't, understand what they're talking about. And she said, if it's fitness, I'm screwed because for me, yoga's boring. I can never get in the right level dance class. Uh, the gym is torture and pole dancing hurts my back. So she was just in this place of really not understanding. And she was so in her head. And I had this moment where I was listening to her, where I heard a question underneath her question. And in that moment I realized, and I had never really noticed before that I heard her asking, she wanted to know what it felt like to really be at home in her body, like to have her spirit, her soul, her mind, her heart, all these different parts of herself actually feel at home in her body instead of as a guest, you know? And I realized that what I always loved about movement, I grew up as a dancer. I'd been a yoga teacher for 10 years. I'd gotten into feminine movement, pole dancing, you know, I, I actually really love pushing myself at the gym or like a boot camp sort of situation. So I'd always love that. But what I realized when she asked that question is I was never motivated by burning calories. I really didn't care about um, I wasn't trying to like lose weight. It was like I just wanted to feel like myself. And when I moved my body, I felt like myself. And when I didn't move my body, I felt like a crazy person. <laughs> and so I realized in that moment that that she just wanted to feel like herself and capital letter S self. And so I said, Hey, I think I'm hearing a question underneath your question. And if I'm right, I want to offer this inspiration. I'm feeling this moment to lead a class. We can combine all these different things, yoga, dance, sensual movement, while also like getting stronger and more flexible and all those traditional motivation factors of exercise. But let's do it with the idea that there's no way we can do it wrong. Let's focus. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Focus on how it feels. And let's just explore, since we were in a women's circle, you know, just noticing that the way in which most of us connect to our bodies in a patriarchal, goal-orientated, right-wrong paradigm, focusing more on how it looks. And let's just explore if we just do the opposite. 
if we just really look from a feminine paradigm of focusing more on how it feels, focus on coming into the moment, and instead of our goal being to change ourselves, if our goal being to enjoy ourselves exactly where we are, of course, knowing that that's often the times where our belief systems can change and the belief systems that really influence how we look and how we feel more than the exercise we do, you know, where there's the greatest potential for change, but not in a way that we're wrong making where we are right now. And so is what happened is the class was a pretty big success and sold out and lots of people wanted to do it. And here we are uh, seven years later, you know, after leading 50 some retreats on six continents, 300 certified Koya teachers and um, a book and, and, a, and a, a manifesto of a lot of women. There's so many other ways that other women are doing this and so many other movement systems. And Koya is just one very proud flag holder of saying, you know, this is the time where we rewrite the narrative around ourselves and our bodies. And we claim our body as home for our soul in this lifetime. Mm, Yeah. And I, I mean, your book is such a great place to go if people want to go deeper into that journey, both in their own experience, but also hearing more about you know, this is this journey of developing Koya really took you all around the world and it, and it incorporates so many beautiful practices. So for anyone who's maybe curious, like what would, you know, dance sounds really scary. I know when I've gone to Koya classes that um, my friend Jane was leading, like lots of times like women are like, yeah, the dance part really like freaks me out. I didn't want to come. So um, what, what can people expect when they show up for a Koya class? Well, the one thing they can accept is a sigh of relief because there's absolutely no way that you can do Koya wrong. And the way you know you're doing it right is that it actually feels good to be in your body. And a little bit even more than good is that it feels true. Mm -hmm. So like this uh, wave of the importance of authenticity and people's work like Brene Brown, this is while we're looking to find the most true thing in our conversations with ourselves and with others, We're also learning how to find the language of our body that is honest. And the tendency for many women in this culture is to minimize, to make themselves small, to make themselves acceptable, to make themselves, you know, programmed in a way. Like as a child, watch a child move. You know, there's no inhibition and there's so much authentic expression and so much emotional range. And you know, as grown women, we're not talking about having tantrums, but we're talking about merging our discernment, our consciousness with our authentic expression. And I like to say, express, don't repress, because uh, there's a lot of space in a Koya class to do really simple movements like circling, heart opening, hip opening, dancing your yoga as prayer, exploring the shadow of whatever the theme is, if the theme is receiving, it's like, what is it like when it's difficult to receive the goodness in your life? And another thing is then shamanic shaking and releasing any of the places where you might be stuck through movement. And then a choreographed dance piece, which which is really just about having fun. So let's do the grapevine, let's do the box step. And then a free dance to really embody the theme. So if the theme was receiving is what does it feel like when you really receive the gifts that are in your life? What is the physical sensation? Dance that feeling. And then sharing with a partner, what did you get from class that you want to take with you? A little stretching and a little rest at the end. So the entire class is really about an invitation for each woman to find her relationship to the theme and her relationship to her body. And so there's also a lot of the class 
where you can close your eyes and really take the time to go within. So also the invitation of a woman can expect to have a, have a really deep, intimate conversation with herself through her body. And a lot of times through movement, when the nervous system relaxes and we feel safe and we feel in the moment and we feel embodied, that's when we can start to be visionary. So there's a lot of solutions to places in our lives that need re resolution. There's a lot of visions for the future, ideas. There's a lot of things that come to women when they deeply connect to themselves. So I believe anyone that was curious whether they were doing one of our free videos on our website in their living room or they were doing a class where they live, that there's a lot of medicine in movement and a lot of healing that is available and also just a lot of permission to just have fun and just enjoy your body as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, like I'm someone who has so much resistance towards movement um, when I'm like going to a class or the class is just starting or they're like, okay, now it's time to do this. And the thing that I always find going to a quiet class is that it feels so good. I mean, and obviously that's a big part of it. So if anyone does have resistance to giving it a try, I would definitely encourage them to, to work through that if, if they feel like they can. Yeah. And I think the other thing I would say with that is our body is really the most constant relationship we have in our entire life. Mm -hmm. So from when we're born to when we die, our first breath to our last, there are many different relationships we'll have with family, uh, with friends, with jobs, with homes. But the one most consistent is our body. And oftentimes when we're in a, a disconnected relationship to our body, every other aspect of our life suffers. And when we're in a connected relationship to our body, every other aspect of our life begins to thrive because we're connected. And so this is, this is not necessarily, you know, a lot of times in our world, we're like healthy enough and we're, you know, um, our life is going well enough that something like a Koya class could be like a hobby. It could be like something we did for leisure. But the, the thing, the deeper invitation is really the reconnection to, to life itself. And that there, there, are, there are times when if we can make this investment on the front end, that it benefits us in ways that we only really know when we experience it. So mm -hmm. I really encourage people if they have resistance to just go have the experience and then make your decision based on having an experience versus making the decision from a place of the mind that hasn't really had that taste of fully coming into their body in a while. And I would say that's not only about deciding to do Koya, I would say just about anything. Um, you know, with a few exceptions, but, but just, <laughs> but, uh, especially when there's, when there's something that for most of us in the world, and even those of us that really live an embodied life, the body is really just begging for, for attention, for love, for acceptance and for nurturing. Just like when we're born and we come to the world and, you know, it's like, I need food. I need someone to change my diaper. You know, the body, just because we got older doesn't mean it doesn't have needs. You know, it, it really, it really gives us so much and, and, uh, really, really savors when we give back to it. Four Sigmatic make coffee, hot chocolates, elixirs, and smoothie powders that include potent medicinal mushrooms. 
These mushrooms can help increase your energy, balance your hormones, heal your adrenals, and even give you a better night's sleep. This might sound like magic, and it kind of is, but these mushrooms are actually more nutrient dense than 99.9999% of all food options. Drinking one of their reishi elixirs is a really powerful way to support your adrenals. I find them incredibly powerful for balancing my hormones, calming my nervous system, and getting deep, restful sleeps. Check out their products at foursigmatic.com and use the code Sarah to get 10% off your order. And so I know when you write about in your book about being in Peru, I think for the first time and getting a download about what Koya would be, you knew from the beginning that it would start out being specifically for women and then would grow to include men. And I was wondering if, like, I know you're now offering co-ed retreats and some instructors are offering co-ed classes. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that evolution and where you see Koya going in the future. Of course. Well, yeah, Koya began as a practice for women and specifically more than for women as a gender for embodying the feminine essence. And so I'd say 99% of the time, the class is mostly for women. I also do love teaching Koya to men and in co-ed experiences. And so that's something I love to do at festivals, special retreats. And the thing that I'm working on right now and this winter uh, hibernating is a movement system to balance the masculine and the feminine energy that could be done by anyone, but really, really honoring both and the sacred marriage within. So uh, I do see in the future that uh, Koya would predominantly probably be a woman's class, but then always be open and have special co-ed environments. And if someone was really inspired to go, we could do that. But there is such a such a medicine in, in gathering women together, specifically to honor the cycles of our lives, the menstruation cycles, the, the giving birth cycles, the, the things that women, that women in their body uniquely hold as a gender and, and having a safe and sacred place to, to honor that. And then at the same time, having Koya be available to anyone that wants to embody their feminine essence, regardless of their gender orientation. So, so then also this, uh, co-ed class is the way that I really see, or this balancing the masculine feminine, where it's not really about gender, but it's really about energy. And so that's something that I'm working on now. And it would probably, uh, you know, be very, very, very similar to Koya. And then I also have these daydreams of partnering, with um with a man and developing a system that's just for embodying the masculine that would pro- predominantly be like mostly all men most of the time but then have these other when a woman really wanted to tap into her masculine energy or you know vice versa you know at this time it's such an interesting time to be alive with so much um gender fluidity and conversations around you know male female masculine feminine and just to be clear that my viewpoint is really about the sacred marriage within and really empowering people. So like, you know, I often sometimes think of like a tool belt and like you want a screwdriver for a screw and a hammer for a nail that, that we realize that we have this masculine way that energy moves to be linear and have good structure when we 
are showing up to our job as an air traffic controller or someone that makes a bridge or strategizing something in our life that needs those skills. And that's the most appropriate, correct, amazing way to engage with that situation. And then there's things in life when someone we really care about has lost something that's dear to them, you know? And then at that point, one of the most amazing things we can do is come into our feminine essence of being incredibly present, incredibly emotional, incredibly empathic, incredibly um, nurturing, and that we can really be there. And there's going to be so many different situations as we go through our day and our lives, but that we have the confidence to access both of them. So I'm really passionate about the sacred marriage within, but I focus mainly on women and mainly on the feminine because we live in a, a society that most people know how to judge, how to analyze, how to rationalize, how to be strategic and, and have valued them, those things more because that our society values them more. And I think that there's great peril to our society that is disconnected to the feminine. So I focus on the feminine because I think that's the place where we come into balance. And, uh, but ultimately my vision is not to switch from patriarchy to matriarchy. It's, it's to have a sacred marriage in ourselves, in our relationships, and in our organizations, and in our world. That's my idealized state. And uh, that it really has nothing to do with gender, but has to do more with energy. Mm, that leads really well into a question that my friend and listener wanted me to talk to you about. In your book, and you know, in, in a lot of your work and, and writing, you talk about the core wound that really inspired your healing path of feeling abandoned by the masculine. And so you talk a lot about love and breakups in your book. And her question was really about what advice or wisdom you have about healing from heartbreak in a way that, that brings us back to ourselves, back to our truth, so that we feel more whole rather than being in a place where we repeat the same patterns or, or keep those wounds really festering. Well, isn't that the question of the day? <laughs> yeah. uh, we're, uh, I mean, I feel, I feel like this is a question that I get often. And obviously, like you mentioned, that's like, I wrote a book about it. So, so people will come and ask for real personal antidotes for and elixirs for their situations. And, and I would say in this moment that, and really sort of tuning into the person asking and then you and me and all of us in that question is that we have to be willing to love ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> it's, oh, and it's like, oh, I sort of like, I hate to say it because it's, it's, you know, it's really on the borderline of being like cliche, but I would say our capital letter S selves, you know, and we got to love our ego selves too, but it's when we really remember the essence of who we are and we really have compassion for ourselves as an eternal being that came in to have a human experience, potentially to learn and grow, then we can embrace that heartbreak in a, in a, in a bigger context than just the human suffering and when we can place ourselves also, I would say, in the evolution of consciousness in terms of the feminine, I really do believe, and again, I could just be hallucinating and making up a narrative that makes it easier for me to get through the day, and I'm totally okay with that. I don't need anyone to believe me. But, um, but I really believe that in terms of our heartbreak and in this moment in time, 
that for the healing of the masculine and the feminine, there just had to be a glitch, a glitch where women could not be rescued by the masculine and they actually just had to come into their wholeness on their own so that when they do repartner with the masculine, whether that's in a romantic relationship, in a job, but I, I mean, this question is more based on romantic. So whether that's with a man or a woman, but whether they reemerge in partnership, that that they have found a sense of of wholeness in themselves. Now, it's interesting for me in my journey is I really had to surrender to that I was lovable, even in the midst of all my drama and my wounds, and and really stand for that. And that is how the how the pattern started to shift is when I honored myself. So I worked with a therapist who put me on a dating fast, you know, for almost a year so that I could see and watch mindfully those those things where it's like, oh, I wanted attention. I wanted I wanted to feel like I was loved, so I was willing to participate in a situation where it wasn't really loving. But when I got out of the dating fast, I just was like, okay, I put so much work and time and energy into this. I'm not you know, the next person that I bring into my life is going to, is going to be a good one. And I'm not going to put up with this shit anymore. So Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, like the classic situation of like someone texts and they say they're going to call and they don't call. And it's like, okay, am I going to like chase them or am I just going to let it drop? Like, uh, you know, and, and, and so I found myself when I reemerged after really, really taking time to, to really love myself, partner with myself and then not go against myself that, you know, I'm really grateful to be on the other side of it in this way that, you know, the next man that I got into relationship with showed up in a really clear, beautiful way. You know, he really was present. He really was loving. He really, you know, has a heart of gold. And, you know, we recently got engaged and it feels like it was such it was really hard work to look at myself and the role that I was playing in perpetuating those situations instead of being victimized by other people's behavior. However, you know, the other people, they were kind of being assholes, Mm -hmm. Um, but I can't control those people. I can only control myself. So I feel really, really blessed in this now moment of feeling like a true companionship and feeling like I was only able to receive that when I was able to give it. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's so difficult because obviously it's what we're all, you know, cultivating. I think if you're interested in personal development at all, you're trying to cultivate that sense. And it's like you say, I feel like it relates a lot to what you were talking about at the beginning of this conversation around finding that mindful access, like by going on that dating fast, by really examining your behavior and getting clear on what was and wasn't, isn't okay in a relationship. Because, you know, we all either when we're engaging in our own unhealthy relationships or we have a friend talking about unhealthy relationships. There's that like that huge desire to be loved and accepted. And so that like you want to rationalize, oh, well, it's okay. He's probably busy at work and that's why he hasn't texted me for two days. And it's like, well, a text takes 30 seconds to send. Like that's not, that's not a very loving response. Mm-hmm. But like being able to kind of come to that place where like I'm not okay with that and so I'm going to stand up for myself is not easy. But it's so, it's so important, like you're saying, I think, to, to be giving yourself that love first. Yeah. And, and I think there's this interesting thing about, I talk a lot about in Koi about external validation versus internal validation. And, uh, one of my, uh, teachers, Alberto Villalota, who founded the four winds where I did, uh, the shamanic studies in Peru and, and all over, 
uh, he has this quote about, you know, external validation is really best when the internal validation is already there. Mm -hmm. So it's like when there is that amount of self-love, then that external, you know, pouring in of love is so much sweeter. That external love and attention when we don't have it for ourselves is a little, it's, it's, a, it's, it's filling a void that, that, um, that we always need more of, you know? So for me, I, I often feel like it's not like we want to be autonomous and like, I'm going to go live on the top of a mountain and, um, you know, just be in my self love. And I don't need anyone to tell me how beautiful or wonderful or what a gift I am to the world. That's not what I'm saying. (laughs) And that's not, I don't think what this is. It's just saying that, when we hold it for ourselves, vibrationally, law of attraction, um, energetically, mirroring, holographic universe, whatever, you know, more and more of us are dabbling into this belief system, it's that we can resonate, we can hold, we can receive, we can accept, and we can enjoy the love of another so much more when we, when we can give it to ourselves as well. Mm. It's just about making it sweeter. It's just about making it, it more like nectar. Yeah, I love that, like nectar. So coming back to the the philosophy of Koya, that through through movement we remember that we are wise, wild, and free. And I know in many ways that's probably something that needs to be experienced and felt in the body. And, you know, doing one of the Koya movement videos or going to a class is a great way to do that. But I'm curious if you could just break down what does that mean for you? Of course. Well, wise, wild, and free draw reference to the movement forms we do in class. So wise is... The wisdom of yoga, wild is the creative expression and dance, and free is about expanding our capacity to enjoy our body um, through sensual movement. So what that means is just inner wisdom. So let's check in here. We do this all the time. Every woman does this all day long. She just might not label it as that she's doing it. It's like you walk in a room and it's, you know, I really like want to talk to that person. I feel like there's something magic there or I need to stay away from that person. That person is, you know, not going to be <laughs> adding to the the higher good of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like we're, it's just these intuitive things. Like I'm going to, I'm going to get on this tube or this subway train or not. I'm going to, you know, we're doing it all the time where we're really operating on our gut instinct and our inner wisdom and this is really about in Koya, remembering that you're wise is just remembering that you are trustworthy, that there is so much wisdom inside of you. And it's just really about carving out some space to listen. That could be in a meditation practice. It could be in the breathing and intention setting that we do. It could be in just the movement of really going within and just noticing what's true for you when you when you listen. But it's really about honoring like all mystical traditions talk about, you know, the, the guru within the light within the heart within the heart's wisdom. It's just basically like the gospel of Mary Magdalene, as we're talking about, you know, feminine mystical teachings is just don't trust anyone that is telling you to go anywhere other inside yourself, you know, go within, go within. There's essences of Koya. One is everything is that is within. And that's really the wise thing. And it's, it's not only for people to experience as they come into a class, but it's also for us to have respect for one another. So like for me, you know, I don't say, okay, welcome to Koya. Today's theme is receiving. Here are the five steps to receiving. I figured it out. You should do it the way I do it. That's not how we work in Koya. We 
basically say today's theme is receiving, there's going to be an opportunity for you to find what you know about receiving, what's true for you. So wise is really about the whole paradigm of bringing women back into themselves instead of saying, hey, follow me. I figured everything out. That's not what we do here. So then with wild, wild is basically about expression. And so I say express versus repress. And it's really about this idea that to be wild is to be true. And to be wild, we can look to, you know, women who run with the wolves and the wild woman archetype, Clarissa Pinkola Estes book. I mean, that's the Bible of wild. But in the correlation of just saying, you know, a wild woman is, you know, facing extinction on this planet is an endangered species. And it's the authenticity. It's not girls gone wild taking their clothes off during Mardi Gras. You know, that word has been co-opted. And, but wild in the sense of without neuroses, without um, inhibition, and with authenticity like that primal instinct in a wolf, where it is absolutely necessary to protect your pack, to, to protect your young you know, where to be wild is to stand up against this pipeline in the United States, where to be wild is to use your voice in saying how you actually feel, not to be wild in a way that diminishes your value. And, and not saying like, if you want to strip and have fun, that that is, is going against, you know, that, that, that is, you know, if that's, if that's your call, you know, I love burlesque dance, you know, it's like yeah. <laughs> everything, everything is context. You know what I mean? So it's really about how we hold it with inside of ourselves. But for me, wild is to be true. And I'm, I'm very, very interested in living in a world where more women are more honest and more true. And I also would say to be wild, I think of this saying, for me personally, when I think of being expressive, being loud, being honest, uh, is that the louder you howl, the more your pack can find you. So by me writing my book, by me putting Koya out into the world, I'm able to connect with so many women, you know, conversations like you and I, we haven't met in person, but because I howled, because I was wild, because I was expressive, I can have a conversation with you for an hour. That's, you know, one of the deeper conversations that I'll have for today. And that's amazing. And I wish that for all of us, that as we courageously express ourselves, it's not thinking about what we'll lose in terms of people that might judge us, but what we'll gain. We'll gain actual resonance, actual connection, and that that's a really big gift. Now, free is about, oh my goodness, can we just let the suffering be over? Like, <laughs> please, I mean, we've suffered enough. If, you, if you're a woman, if you're a human, up into this life, like you've, you've suffered enough. Like at what point? Do we actually start to look for the practices where we get to enjoy our body? You know, there's so such a sensual revolution, a reclamation of the body that's happening. There's such an education that's happening around the clitoris, around orgasm. There's so much opportunity to actually feel good in our body because guess what happens when you feel good? You feel free. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when you feel free, you feel powerful. And when you feel powerful, you do things in the world that impact the greater good. And I would say that, you know, when a woman 
feels good in her body and feels the course and the pulse and the heat of her sensuality through sensual movement in a way that is not trying to get attention from someone else, in a way that is not focused on someone else, she becomes in a moment of awareness of where she realized that this lives in her. So that whenever she does consciously engage with a partner, I feel like the, the opportunity for joy is that much more exponentially possible. But she knows that she is free, that this is a birthright and that this lives in her. And I'm very, very, very interested, again, in living in a world where we have more opportunities, not in like, you know, not in the way that sex is portrayed in our culture, but in the ways of where we surrender into bliss. And, and, and in the body, it can be so simple. Like in Koya, no one says like thrust your hips forward. Like you're making love. Like we don't say that we say hips down and to the right, hips down and to the left, hips down in the front, hips down in the back. So every woman can find her relationship to her freedom through her sensuality. And some days that is, you know, like they're super turned on and they want to run home to their partner and make love. And some days it's like quite functional where it's like, wow, my hips are really locked. I have like a lot of emotion there and it just starts to circulate and they just start to feel a little bit better. And some days it's like, wow, a memory that's held in the body, a trauma, a pain resurfaces and they get to interface with, okay, am I just going to shut down and never access that part of myself again? Or am I going to come into present time and I'm going to breathe into how I feel and am I going to explore how I can feel better? Am I going to invest in my future instead of investing in my past? And so all these things happen just in living our lives, but they also happen in Koya. When we say hips down on the right, hips down to the left, as we explore central movement, but the freedom is there's a freedom to choose. And this is basically what we offer women throughout the entire Koya class is that the way that we heal is when we feel that we have freedom to choose how we want to feel instead of being on autopilot of our wirings. And so we have to come into consciousness. We have to come into awareness to know what our triggers are. But when there's that moment where there's a fork in the road and choose that we can breathe and choose a better feeling. Mm, I love how you explain that because it really gives us an invitation to start living Koya, to start bringing those feelings and states of being into our whole life. And I think that's what makes it you know, so much more than a movement practice because it can really... Yeah, touch everything in your life, which is incredible. So there's a couple of questions that I like to ask everyone as we wrap up. And the first one is, when it comes to your own personal development, what are you working on learning or implementing right now? So for me right now, the the main thing that I'm working on is uh, menstruation cycles and the cycles of birth and finding that correlation um, for Koya and embodiment. So really weaving that in. And so like with education, anatomy, and then also the metaphor of our menstruation cycles, the metaphor of our creation cycles in giving birth and whatever else that we want to birth into the world. So for me, that's where my research, my passion, and my excitement really is right now. Oh, you might love my friend Lisa Lister's book, Code Red, then. She's all up in that and has completely transformed the way I relate to my cycles amazing yes I've definitely heard of her work and I'm looking forward to checking out that book for sure amazing and so this next one it can be as frivolous and silly or as serious and esoteric as you like what's the one thing that you're obsessed with these days that's making your life better 
Oh, I would say um, the one thing right now is uh, my home, and it's I, it's like I haven't had a home in a in a while, in a few years, and the last ten years, maybe five or six of them have been everything in storage and traveling. But it's not just a home; it's um, you know, with my fiance and. And just, I'm, I'm not a very domestic person because I'm never home. So it's like these little things. Like I went yesterday to the store where I'm like buying, you know, candles and frying pans and, you know, like stocking up on quinoa. And it's just, it's just, it's just bringing me so much joy to nest. And I'm really looking forward to hibernating for the winter. So spending a few months just cozy and, cabin life of like a cabin in the woods, you know? And so I'm, I'm really, it's really at the center of my heart and my mind and my life right now. Oh yeah. What a perfect time to be hunkering down for some, for that home time. Yeah. I psychologically need winter right now. So, so much of my life is extroverted that it, I really need to go in for a little while. So as we wrap up, what's the best way for anyone who feels drawn to, to work with you or support your work? Uh, there's so many easy ways online. So at koya.love, Q-O-Y-A dot L-O-V-E, there's free movement rituals there. And also on our newsletter, we send a new one out every new moon and full moon. There's also uh, a bunch of ritual suggestions. You can also, by signing up for our newsletter, get the chapter, first chapter of the book, which has some exercises. So those are just some really easy ways to begin. There are classes all over. And so there's also find a class near you or um, reaching out to us at info at koya.love. And we can let you know if there's a class near you. There's retreats uh, all over the place, uh, probably like 10, 20 Koya retreats a year. And so those are on our website. There's also the Koya teacher training. If you were inspired of just having some own self-empowerment to create your own practice or share it with friends and family or share it to the public. So there's different levels of training for people's interest. And the first one is online. There's also, um, I'm on Instagram at Rochelle Sheik. And then also there's Koya.love for Instagram, which is just a fun way to daily stay connected and get, get some uplifting messages on your feed as well as uh, Facebook and so I'm sure there's other ways, but those are all the ways that I'm thinking of this in this moment. And uh, definitely a lot of conscious intention in all the offerings to really connect with people in present time. So there's always a prayer and a blessing for everyone in our community. And so just offering that to anyone that's listening here now and big blessings for you. Also, as one of the things I love to offer people is to put your uh, songs on shuffle, whatever song you get, and just practice dancing for a few minutes, really practicing your ability to feel good in your body right now. And doing that as a practice to really merge and dance with whatever life brings with us. You know, every, every day is a different song. Thank you so much, Rochelle. I'm so excited for everyone who gets to be introduced to Koya through this conversation. Thank you, Sarah, and thank you for your work. I definitely feel the power of it and the momentum of it and big blessings to your girl gang and to to all the women that are waking up to serve, encourage, and support one another. It's a really exciting time to be alive. Thank you. You can find the show notes for this episode at sarahstars.com slash podcast slash 62. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you enjoyed it, please leave a reading and review on iTunes. It will make a huge difference in helping me make big things happen with this podcast and reach more people who can benefit from these conversations. 
You can write whatever you want in the review. So why not let me know what you're obsessed with lately or who you'd like me to interview next? And I'd love it if you'd join us in Girl Gang HQ. That's our private Facebook group for this community. So you can get there by going to Facebook and just in the search bar typing Girl Gang HQ, like short for headquarters. And we talk about all of the kind of things that we talk about on the podcast. We share advice, support, encouragement, just a really safe, loving, nurturing space. And we'd love to have you there with us. Next week's interview is with Susanna Conway. Susanna is the author of This I Know, Notes on Unraveling the Heart, and London Town, a photographic tour of the city's delights, and co-author of Instant Love, How to Make Magic and Memories with Polaroids. Through her writing and online courses, she helps people reconnect to their true selves through creativity. I'm so excited to share our conversation where we sat down to chat about harnessing creativity, the healing power of journaling, the fact that everyone is creative, thriving as an HSP in a big city, and her rituals for preparing for the new year. Until then, grab your girl gang and have a conversation that matters.